you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. To see you, is that, that is on, fantastic. Uh, good morning if you're at home too. I know, um, speaking to you guys, we have had some trouble with our live stream, so I'm told it is working again this morning, so I hope uh, you can hear. And for those of us who hear, uh, great to see you. I don't know how you're feeling. How are you feeling? <laughs> how are you feeling? Yesterday was, yesterday, wasn't it? Um, we woke up this morning to four more years of uh, this gentleman. Where is he? Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe we're going to be spared. No, there is. Um, how, how did that make... Uh, I'm not going to ask how it made you feel. I think because the, the reality is we will probably feel differently. There will be people here who will respond in different ways. Um, some of us will probably really hardly even notice it. Um, others of us will be maybe celebrating. Um, but there will be others where there's a heaviness, um, there's a sadness, maybe even a, there's a depression. Um, I, I, this is political as I'm going to get. I, I'm in that latter camp, right? Uh, I think this is this is not a not a great day um, for multiple reasons. Uh, it can be tough. Uh, it can feel like um, the forces that are put against God's people are are strong and getting stronger. It can feel like the tide is. Not all the way out, it just keeps going further out. And it is likely, I think, as far as I can see the future, that the next four years are not going to get any easier uh, for God's people, for people of faith in this state. But however you feel this morning, and uh, wherever you land on that spectrum, whether you're like me or whether you see these things differently, we're gathered here for a moment in time We're gathered here before the presence of God. We are gathered here to proclaim the name of Jesus, and we are gathered here to learn from his word, to encourage one another, and then to go out into the world to live lives that are different, lives that are full of trust and belief in the resurrected Jesus Christ. So right now, as we come to God's word, I'm going to pray that God would do his work, that however you feel this morning, the Holy Spirit would fall on our gathering together and would stir up our hearts and would point us to Jesus. Let's, let's pray that, because we need it. I need it. Let's pray that God would do it for us this morning, for, for our sake, but also for the glory of his Son. So let's pray. 
Father, we come uh, to you this morning and we lay upon you our concerns and our fears. Uh, We lay uh, upon you um, this uh, new government. We pray uh, for Daniel Andrews and and the uh, returned government this morning. But Lord, we come and we pray for ourselves. We ask, Father, that you you would give us eyes to see. And that we look at your word in Colossians now, that, that you would tear back the veil, that you would enable us to get to, to the essence of who you are and what you're doing in your world. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this time to build us up and to strengthen our faith and to lift our vision up so we might see you. Jesus, we want to see you this morning. We don't want to just come here and go through the motions. We don't want to show up because that's what we should do. We, we don't want to just, just go through another day, another Sunday. Lord, we want to meet with you. We need you. Strengthen us, your people. Come and meet with us. And we ask, Lord, that you do this because of the Lord Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done. And we ask all of these things in confidence and faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, uh, if you were here, we had uh, Pastor Nick Coombs from East. Um, I was at East, which was really encouraging to see that church. I heard uh, Nick did a, a great job here. Beginning this Colossians series, we're looking at only a couple, four or five verses in Colossians chapter one. And last week, as Nick began, as he was looking at, the, at um, verse 15 of chapter one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That was last week. Paul is writing this letter to a new church. It's about 30 years after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Uh, And he's writing to this new church. Probably church is about 10 years old, about the same age as we are in Geelong, actually. And he's writing this letter to them in Colossae, which is today in modern Turkey. I think you can can get an idea where that is from the map. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That was extraordinary last week, that when you see Jesus, you see God. But this morning, this morning, Paul goes, that was only warming up. Now we're getting deeper, because Paul says something which is totally extraordinary if you think about it. Like, So this is 30 years after Jesus the tradie lived and worked and died on a Roman cross in Palestine. 30 years after, right? So that's like, the, that's like the equivalent of what the, that's, that's the 1990s nearly, isn't it? Or 80s, 80s, 90s for us. So tons of people are still alive. They remember Jesus, his family, others. And, and Paul goes, you know that tradie that died on the Roman cross? Well, he says, verse 16, by Jesus, all things were created. By the guy hanging on the Roman cross 30 years before, everything. All things were created. If, if that is false, it's just laughable. What? That, that man that sat on the well and was tired in Samaria, the one that said, come to me, all you are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The one that, that sweated and walked, was tired, says, by him, everything was created. The wood which held him on the cross, the nails which pierced his skin. They were created by him and for him 
and in him. He was the agent of all of creation, that the locus of the entire creation is focused on Jesus. That's extraordinary. Are you just hearing that and going, oh yeah, we know that. Do you, do, this is amazing. I have, when I'm preparing to preach this, I'm going to like, Andrew, open your eyes. Everything was made through Jesus, including that friend we see here on the screen, the visible and the invisible friends. Not that one. Go, <laughs> no, that one. <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate, whoever did that at the back. <laughs> that friend. Uh, we know that friend, don't we? In fact, um, hello to Dave May and the May fam- family, Pastor Dave May. He's uh, having an intimate time with that friend at the moment. Um, that friend, invisible, was made by Jesus. It was made for Jesus. It was made through Jesus. It was made by Jesus. That was made by him. Invisible, we can't see it with our eyes. But also the things that were made are, for example, you know how many stars you can see with the naked eye in the, in the sky here in Australia? If you go out somewhere where it's, there's not, not as much light pollution, you know how many you can see, apparently, I'm told? Any guesses? It's about 10,000, apparently that you can actually see with your eyes. But do you know how many stars there are out there that you can't see? Um, I, I, this, is, this is according to Google, so I'm sure it's right. Uh, 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. 200 billion trillion. I can't even begin to think of ha- what that number is, how many zeros are on the end of that. 200 billion trillion. And the nearest star to us is 40 trillion kilometers that's the nearest. And, and Paul says, Jesus made them all. They're made through him, for him, by him. Um, the Apostle John, who was the, the friend, the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, John 1.1, 1, 1, he writes, Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him is not anything made that was made. Now, that is an extraordinary claim. We're going to look at it this morning, and I think there's two areas of its extraordinariness, if you like. Number one, there is a physical and a practical extraordinary reality to that claim. We're going to look at that. And then number two, we're going to look at the second part, which is a cosmic and a spiritual reality. So let's look firstly at the, the physical and the practical realities of that claim, that everything is made through Jesus. So... Uh, let's get really practical. How does this reality impact us the day after a Victorian general election? How does the, the reality of what we've just read impact us as a church here in Victoria right now? Well, listen again to verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, listen to this, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... All things were created through him and for him. So Paul is writing to this Colossian church, and this Colossian church lived at, in one sense, the height of the Roman Empire, with its mighty legions conquering the known world, with its, its emperor in Rome, with its uh, local governors and provincial authorities who already were becoming very hostile towards this new Christian movement, and very soon, if they hadn't already, would begin to persecute and kill them. Paul says, they were all created by Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus. Now, think about our context of yesterday. Now, I don't know if you would like this, I suspect you wouldn't, but 
the Bible says Daniel Andrews was created by Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus. And Daniel Andrews um, will bring glory to Jesus because he's under the authority of Jesus. And uh, we know that from, there's going to be a future reality. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there'll come a day when Daniel Andrews will bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Uh, But there's also a present reality. Right now, Daniel Andrews and every other political authority on earth is existing for the pleasure of Jesus Christ, under his authority, given that authority by him. Now, uh, the, the, the practical implications of this are huge. And I thought maybe an illustration might help. Uh, and I, I should say at the start, people get concerned when I make il- illustrations about family, and so you should. Um, but I'm going to make an illustration about my family. I have permission from both parties involved in this case, right? Got that out of the way. That's my disclaimer. Um, and this is to do with the reality which some of you as families might be experiencing, which is teaching your teenagers to drive. Uh, anyone, I want to ask you to, we, we've got two of them, Ethan now has got his license, he, he's done, but Jonty is 16 and is learning to drive, and let's just say that I love it, because I love adrenaline sports, you know, like <laughs> skydiving and roller coasters, and, and you know you're alive when you're driving with Jonty, you just always do. I, I'm quite being honest, I just love it. Um, not quite the same with Dana. Uh, Dana's experience of driving with Jonty is quite different. Like, um, this is only a slight exaggeration. If you can picture Dana uh, sitting in the back seat, like, <laughs> she's got a brown paper bag, like <laughs> and, and then she's, and, and then and everyone else in the car is like, calm down, mum, calm down, mum. But just, he's going to kill us all! <laughs> no, it's, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. <laughs> And then she closes her eyes and pretends to relax, and that doesn't work for very long. And then she's leaning forward on the seat, giving impending warnings of doom and disaster. And that is a typical driving experience, right? And, um, and, and John T. gave me permission to use this because he said, well, you know, it's probably justified, mum. You know, those things are all probably justified because it, it is an interesting experience uh, in that car every time we drive. Now, my point is, right, um, sometimes I think, For me as a Christian, I look at the world and I think, Jesus, it's all unraveling. Uh, And I I look at it and go, like, what's happening in Victoria? You know, what's happening in Australia? What's happening with your people of faith? You know, what's happening even within your church? There's divisions and there's separations. And, and like, it's all unraveling. And, and Jesus, you must be really getting worried about this because I'm worried about it. And I'm white-knuckled, you know, like, like Dana in the car, thinking, like, oh, boy, this is there's so much at stake and it's so difficult. And, <laughs> and you know what? If this verse is true, we've got nothing to be white-knuckled about. If Jesus created all of these political authorities and rulers, and we don't have to be white-knuckled, right? We can do um, what Dana does when I'm driving on road trips. You know what that is? Like that. Yeah, she, she, she's just, 
It's very flattering. Early in my marriage, I was like, yeah, I love it that you just go to sleep the moment we get on a road trip, but, but I'd like to talk to you. You know, like, you know, like, how was your day, honey? You know, those kind of things. This is on my heart, and you're just asleep. And, and one day early, this was in the first year of my marriage, I wouldn't do this now, she was like, and I was like, all right, breath mint. And I'd reach over and just, <laughs> didn't go down well. You know, I would never do that now, like 23 years later, never. But there's something that, that Dana's, we should be more like Dana, right? You know, as we go through life, and I'm going to qualify that illustration because I don't, actually don't think we should be fast asleep. But Dana's relaxed in the car. She goes, I trust the driver. Either that or she's just too tired uh, to be worried. But she's like, over to you. Um, John Mark Comer is, is a pastor who's uh, writing in the US. And he says this, and it's really true. He said, Christians should be the most non-anxious presence in this world. The most non-anxious presence. And, and look, there's plenty to be anxious about on the surface of things, isn't it? Like, think about the last couple of years, right? Uh, vaccines and mandates. Uh, now, think, think, think about these for a moment. Let's say that uh, those who lean towards the conspiracy side are correct and that their vaccines are a bioweapon, right? Designed to kill everybody that, that is vaccinated. Let, let's say that that is true. There's actually nothing to be anxious about. So what? So what, really? You know, is Jesus in the driving seat or not? If all these things are true, so what? Um, let's say for a moment that, you know, big farmer and politicians have, have got a, uh, a, a, a task or a, a plan to, to steal freedoms from us and, and to cause all of these destructions. Let's say that's all true, so what? Jesus is still driving in the seat, even if we're going to be in a, a situation of, of persecution in the future. So what? Um, we should be a little bit more like Dana and a bit less like Dana driving with Jonty, right? Trusting that God is in control. That these, these powers and authorities were made through Jesus. They exist for him and in him. And you see, if the worst is true, and, and these things are really happening, and they might be, if the worst of these is true, Jesus still made them. He's still in control. And we as these people don't need to be white-knuckled. Um, Jesus himself says, Matthew 10, 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body. Hang on, don't fear the ones that can kill you? Come on, Jesus. Like, he says, don't fear the ones that are going to have got the potential to take your life. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And then he goes on to say, killing the body, that's really the, neither really here nor there. Those that kill the body, don't fear them. He goes on to say this, Luke 12, 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus says these authorities and rulers and dominions he've created has, have been given, in many cases, great authority by him, even the authority to take human life. But Jesus says, don't fear them. Once they've killed your body, that's as far as they can go. Their power is at an end. 
but not the power of him who created. Not the power of the one through whom and in whom and by whom all things were created. He has the power to throw you into hell. Fear him. Fear him, not them. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said something very encouraging because he, he was looking at the history of the church. And he said, um, throughout history, at least three times the church has gone to the dogs. Each time it was the dogs who died, he says. So if all things were created by Jesus for Jesus, if his church is created by him, as we're going to see in these next passages of Colossians, we can sit back and we can relax. And, and I'm not saying at this point that we should be asleep, um, as Dana is in the car. She's relaxed and trusting, but we actually need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to be prayerful. We need to be watchful. The Bible talks about it. So we should be looking at the signs of the times. We should be remembering Jesus' words that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We should be asking ourselves, is my love growing cold because I live in this world right now? Is the increase of wickedness deadening my heart? Is it deadening my faith? Is it deadening my commitment to God and to his people? We should be alert, but not white-knuckled. Sitting and trusting that this is not Johnny in the car, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he knows what he was doing. He made it. All of this exists for him, through him, and in him. So that's the first thing. There's a material and practical dimension, a, a practical reality of these words which apply to us right now the day after a Victorian general election. Jesus is on the throne. He made it all. It all exists through him. He's in control. But there's also here a spiritual and a cosmic dimension. Because when, when Paul is speaking, he's saying all things are created through him. And he, he goes on to speak about the thrones and the dominions and the rulers and the authorities. Yes, these include human rulers and authorities and dominions. But to the writers, to the, the early church to which Paul was writing, and, and to us if we read the Scriptures, we know those are not actually primarily at the front of Paul's mind when he writes this. Daniel Andrews is not on his number one agenda, right? He's actually speaking about thrones, dominions, authorities. He's speaking about supernatural realities, cosmic realities, very clearly, when Paul is saying this, he is speaking about what we would call today angels or demons. Um, the Greek uh, philosophy called these gods, Jewish thought called them angels and, and ranked them hierarchically. And here, as in the rest of the Bible, Paul says, yes, they exist. These rulers, thrones, dominions, authorities, he goes on in the book of Ephesians to, to speak about them, says, for we, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual reality which exists, right? Um, this is classical Christianity. Classical Christianity is supernatural at its core. Not only the supernatural reality that a man came, Jesus Christ, born as a baby in Bethlehem, living our life, dying our death, being raised to life, but the supernatural realities that surround all of those things and exist today. The reality of angels, they're real. The Bible everywhere attests to their reality. 
Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes they're named for us, like the archangel Michael or Gabriel. We're told in the Old Testament that 185,000 elite Assyrian soldiers were put to death in one night by one angel. 185,000. If you want to look more details, read the book of Daniel, where Daniel, this man of God, encounters the archangel, or Michael, and he sees Michael and he falls on the ground as if he's dead. Takes him two days to get out of bed afterwards. He is so struck down by the magnificence and the glory of this angel he encounters. And the Bible insists that that angels, sometimes uh, it says in the New Testament that angels can be in disguise, if you like. It says, don't you know that some of you, by entertaining hospitality, you, you've entertained angels without knowing it? But when angels choose to reveal themselves as they are, the response from the people who see them is always the same. It's not like, oh, look at this, a fluffy little thing with wings. It's so cute. No, the response when people, human flesh and blood, encounter angels is always the same. It's fear and trepidation and terror. The very least of these supernatural beings are far above us in glory and power. These angels exist and they're real and there's a reality that goes with that and that is that there are fallen angels we call demons. These fallen angels also exist, they are also real and they are also incredibly powerful and at their head is Satan himself. Now, why would Paul write this to these Colossian Christians? Like, why would he speak about these supernatural realities? Because the Colossian Christians were struggling with that. Um, In Colossae, um, at that period, there was a mix of of Jewish and pagan Greek culture that was coexisting together. It was actually syncretizing, uh, becoming one kind of belief system. And the major belief system uh, we know from history at Colossae was a cult that worshipped angels. It was a Jewish Old Testament-based cult that worshipped the archangel Michael. And they believed that Michael came down from heaven and that a spring rose up out of the ground and that if you could bathe in the waters of that spring, then the archangel Michael would cure you of your sicknesses and protect you from the evil forces that were existing in the world. So that was what the Colossians were wrestling with. And we know that it was serious for them because a couple of verses later, Paul says this. He says... Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So clearly the Colossians were starting to worship angels. And you kind of go like, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? They're so powerful. They're so glorious. Whenever they show up in the Bible, they are beings of great power. So you should worship them. You know, give them the worship. And, and Paul's saying, no, no, don't do that. And I don't know about you, I, I won't ask for it, I don't know if anyone here is tempted to worship angels. Um, my, I've met Christians in, in, the, in the church who have been actually tempted to do this, to, to worship angels. It, it exists in many cultures in the world today, maybe most of them, this is still a reality. There is a a temptation to worship supernatural forces, both good and bad, right? To to operate in that spirit world. For many people reading these verses, they go, yeah, worshiping angels is a big deal for us. I, I don't know if it's a big deal for us, for most of us, but I do know that giving excessive emphasis on supernatural things can be a problem. Uh, so 
for example, um, there was uh, one woman I knew who, and this is a good reality in a church that believes in the supernatural, right? We believe in spiritual gifts. Uh, we believe that God works by sending still visions and dreams today, that God works in his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. But one woman in particular would tell me that she would look up at the sky and she'd say, I see cloud demons. I see that shape in a cloud and, and that's a demon. Or I see this shape in the cloud and that's an angel. And these angels and these demons are telling me things. And I was like, well, I look at that same cloud and I can't see anything. It looks like a dragon or something, you know, like, yeah, see, you got it. You know, that's the, I was like, but, and, and then this person would say, and God's told me that it's going to rain in Madagascar on Monday. And then on Wednesday, it's going to rain in Mongolia. I'm like, why is he telling you? Why would he tell you these things? And, and sadly, I think it was because it was, it was puffing up. It was like, a, this, is, this is something that I'm special, you know, like there's a supernatural connection that I have that you don't have, and it makes me special. And, and Paul's saying, no. Th this verse smashes all that. He says, you know, these angels with their supernatural power? Yeah, Jesus made them too. Along with the ants and Daniel Andrews and the COVID virus. He made them too. So why would you worship them? Why would you give them that, that authority that they don't have? Worship their creator. So he's saying to those Colossian Christians way back then, forget your angel cult. Michael's a great figure. He's a great angel. Don't worship him. Worship his creator and his boss. That's the one whom power resides. Don't get caught up in spiritual visions and things that are trying to puff you up. No, focus on Jesus because to the extent that we focus on the supernatural things, disproportionately, we always, we always steal from the worship that belongs to Jesus. We focus on things that don't really matter. That's part of our white knuckle problem, isn't it? We focus on this and that and this and that. And in the end, what we do, if we're not very careful, is we stop focusing and lifting up Jesus. And Paul says, that's stupid. Because all things were made through him, by him, for him. They exist for him, for his pleasure. It's all about Jesus, right? It's not to say that these things are unimportant, but Jesus is the, the primary importance and if you think as I say this, oh, Andrew, I've heard all this before. Jesus is important. Yeah, la, 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 la. Then you need to repent. I need to repent. Jesus is the most important thing in the universe. And you, if you know him, then you are with him forever. There is nothing that can steal you away from him, nothing that can take you from him. If you know him, but you are bored with the thought of him, you don't know him. You don't know him. In one sense, it's not like Jonty in the car where Dan is fast asleep, with me in the car, like he's fast asleep. When Jesus is driving the car of your life, you don't, you're not asleep. You're riding the roller coaster of, of life. Jesus never promises it's going to be easy for you but he promises he'll be with you and that you'll be living truly instead of being asleep with the things of the world which deaden and dull our hearts. And so this morning, as we, as we close out, this is a simple verse, but it's profound. And last two things. Firstly, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is in, indeed the preeminent, that everything's created through him and for him and by him? Do you believe it? 
And if the answer is yes, are you living like it? Is Jesus the center of your daily existence? Is Jesus the, the one that you look for and long for and pray to? You say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Is he the center? Is he the one, the, 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 the sun, which everything else is revolving around? Is he the sun of your life? And if he's not, if you don't believe this and Jesus is not the center, you're in a dangerous place. Because this is true. And one day it'll be true for everyone to see. But if it's true for you this morning, you're in the right place. Because you're coming to worship. What else can we do with that? What else can we do with this verse? He said, worship him. We sang that song, fall on your knees. His power and glory. And so we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to worship. Musicians are going to lead us in a moment. But, but before we do, we're going to worship in a way that Jesus told us to do frequently, which is coming to take communion together. Coming to take the bread. Coming to take the juice. And as we take that bread, remembering that it's his body, the one who created everything, his body was broken. And as we take the juice, remembering that, that it was his blood that was shed. And so as we do that this morning, we're going to do that in, in silence. And so what I'd ask that you would do is at, at the back of the church, you'll see there is um, juice and there is bread. And so just in silence, I'd ask that you would, you would file through, take your bread and your juice, take it back to your seat and, and hold it. We will eat together. But in these, these moments of silence, ask God to, to show you who Jesus is. Actually, we've got some here at the front too. So, so take those elements and then go to your seats and then I'll call us back together and we'll share them together as, as one people. There's, it's all juice and I think there's gluten-free options there at the back and at the front. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.